0: Section 15 of Bullfinch's The Legends of Charlemagne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Age of Charlemagne by Thomas Bullfinch. Section 15. Estolfo in Abyssinia when we last parted with the adventurous paladin Estalfo, he was just commencing that flight over the countries of the world from which he promised himself so much gratification our readers are aware that the eagle and the falcon have not so swift a flight as the hippogriff on which Estalfo rode it was not long therefore before the paladin directing his course toward the southeast arrived over the part of africa where the great river nile has its source here he alighted and found himself in the neighborhood of the capital of abyssinia ruled by Senapus, whose riches and power were immense his palace was of surpassing splendor the bars of the gates the hinges and locks were all of pure gold in fact this metal in that country is put to all those uses for which we employ iron it is so common that they prefer for ornamental purposes rock crystal of which all the columns were made. Precious stones of different kinds, rubies, emeralds, sapphires, and topazes were set in ornamental designs, and the walls and ceilings were adorned with pearls. It is in this country those famous balms grow of which there are some few plants in that part of Judea called Gilead. Musk, ambergris, and numerous gums, so precious in Europe, are here in their native climate it is said the sultan of egypt pays a vast tribute to the monarch of this country to hire him not to cut off the source of the nile which he might easily do and cause the river to flow in some other direction thus depriving egypt of the source of its fertility at the time of astolpho's arrival in his dominions this monarch was in great affliction in spite of his riches and the precious production of his country he was in danger of dying of hunger he was prey to a flock of obscene birds called harpies, which attack him whenever he sat at meat, and with their claws snatched, tore and scattered everything, overturning the vessels, devouring the food, and infecting what they left with their filthy touch. It was said this punishment was inflicted upon the king because when young, and filled with pride and presumption, he had attempted to invade with an army the terrestrial paradise, which is situated on the top of a mountain whence the nile draws its source nor was this his only punishment he was struck blind astolfo on arriving in the dominions of this monarch hastened to pay him his respects king senopus received him graciously and ordered a splendid repast to be prepared in honour of his arrival while the guests were seated at table astolfo filling the place of dignity at the king's right hand The horrid screech of the harpies was heard in the air, and soon they approached, hovering over the tables, seizing the food from the dishes, and overturning everything with the flapping of their broad wings. In vain the guests struck at them with knives and any weapons which they had, and Astolfo drew his sword and gave them repeated blows, which seemed to have no more effect upon them than if their bodies had been made of tow. At last Astolfo thought of his horn, he first gave warning to the king and his guests to stop their ears then blew a blast the harpies terrified at the sound flew away as fast as their wings could carry them the paladin mounted his hippogriff and pursued them blowing his horn as often as he came near them they stretched their flight towards the great mountain at the foot of which there is a cavern which is thought to be the mouth of the infernal abodes Hither these horrid birds flew, as if to their home. Having seen them all disappear in the recess, Estolfo cared not to pursue them farther, but alighting, rolled huge stones into the mouth of the cave, and piled branches of trees therein, so that he effectually barred their passage out, and we have no evidence of their ever having been seen since in the outer air after this labor Estalfo refreshed himself by bathing in a fountain whose pure waters bubbled from a cleft of the rock having rested a while an earnest desire seized him of ascending the mountain which towered above him the hippogriff bore him swiftly upwards and landed him on the top of the mountain which he found to be an extensive plain a splendid palace rose in the middle of this plain whose walls shone with such brilliancy that mortal eyes could hardly bear the sight astolpho guided the winged horse towards this edifice and made him pose himself in the air while he took a leisurely survey of this favoured spot and its environs it seemed as if nature and art had striven with one another to see which could do the most for its embellishment astolpho on approaching the edifice saw a venerable man advance to meet him this personage was clothed in a long vesture as white as snow while a mantle of purple covered his shoulders and hung down to the ground a white beard descended to his middle and his hair of the same color overshadowed his shoulders his eyes were so brilliant that astolpho felt persuaded that he was a blessed inhabitant of the heavenly mansions the sage smiling benignantly upon the paladin who from respect had dismounted his horse said to him noble chevalier Know that it is by the divine will you have been brought to the terrestrial paradise. Your mortal nature could not have borne to scale these heights, and reach these seats of bliss, if it were not the will of heaven that you should be instructed in the means to succor Charles, and to sustain the glory of your holy faith. I am prepared to impart the needed counsels, but before I begin, let me welcome you to our sojourn i doubt not your long fast and distant journey have given you a good appetite the aspect of the venerable man filled the prince with admiration but his surprise ceased when he learned from him that he was that one of the apostles of our lord to whom he said i will that thou tarry till i come st john conducting estolfo rejoined his companions these were the patriarch enoch and the prophet elijah neither of whom had yet seen his dying day but taken from our lower world were dwelling in a region of peace and joy in a climate of eternal spring till the last trumpet shall sound the three holy inhabitants of the terrestrial paradise received astolpho with the greatest kindness carried him to a pleasant apartment and took care of the hippogriff to whom they gave such food as suited him while to the prince they presented fruits so delicious that he felt inclined to excuse our first parents for their sin in eating them without permission. Astolfo, having recruited his strength, not only by these excellent fruits, but also by sweet sleep, roused himself at the first blush of dawn, and as soon as he left his chamber, met the beloved apostle coming to seek him. St. John took him by the hand, and told him many things relating to the past and the future. Among others, he said, "'Son, let me tell you what is now going on in France. Orlando, the illustrious prince who received at his birth the endowment of strength and courage more than mortal, raised up as was Samson of old to be the champion of the true faith, has been guilty of the basest ingratitude in leaving the Christian camp, when it most needed the support of his arm, to run after a Saracen princess, whom he would fain marry, though she scorns him.' to punish him his reason has been taken away so that he runs naked through the land over mountains and through valleys without a ray of intelligence the duration of his punishment has been fixed at three months and that time having nearly expired you have been brought hither to learn from us the means by which the reason of orlando may be restored True, you will be obliged to make a journey with me, and you must even leave the earth, and ascend to the moon, for it is in that planet we are to seek the remedy for the madness of the paladin. I propose to make our journey this evening, as soon as the moon appears over our head. As soon as the sun sunk beneath the seas, and the moon presented its luminous disk, the holy man had the chariot brought out in which he was accustomed to make excursions among the stars. The same which was employed long ago to convey Elijah up from earth. The saint made Astolfo seat himself beside him, took the reins, and giving the word to the coursers, they bore them upward with astonishing celerity. At length they reached the great continent of the moon. Its surface appeared to be of polished steel, with here and there a spot which, like rust, obscured its brightness. The paladin was astonished to see that the earth, with all its seas and rivers, seemed but an insignificant spot in the distance. The prince discovered in this region so new to him, rivers, lakes, plains, hills, and valleys. Many beautiful cities and castles enriched the landscape. He also saw a vast forest, and heard in them the sound of horns and the barking of dogs, which led him to conclude that the nymphs were following the chase. The knight, filled with wonder at all he saw, was conducted by the saint to a valley, where he stood amazed at the riches strewn all around him. Well he might be so, for that valley was the receptacle of things lost on earth, either by men's fault, or by the effect of time and chance. Let no one suppose we speak here of kingdoms or of treasures. They are the toys of fortune, which she dispenses in turning her wheel. We speak of things which she can neither give nor take away. Such are reputations, which appear at one time so brilliant, and a short time after are heard of no more. Here, also, are countless vows and prayers for unattainable objects, lovers' sighs and tears, time spent in gaming, dressing and doing nothing, the leisure of the dull and the intentions of the lazy, baseless projects, intrigues and plots. These and such like things fill all the valley." astolpho had a great desire to understand all that he saw and which appeared to him so extraordinary among the rest he observed a great mountain of blown bladders from which issued indistinct noises the saint told him these were the dynasties of assyrian and persian kings once the wonder of the earth of which now scarce the name remains astolpho could not help laughing when the saint said to him All these hooks of silver and gold that you see are the gifts of courtiers to princes, made in the hope of getting something better in return. He also showed him garlands of flowers in which snares were concealed. These were flatteries and adulations, meant to deceive. But nothing was so comical as the sight of numerous grasshoppers which had burst their lungs with chirping. These, he told him, were sonnets, odes, and dedications, addressed by venal poets to great people. The paladin beheld with wonder what seemed a lake of spilled milk. It is, said the saint, the charity done by frightened misers on their deathbeds. It would take too long to tell all that the valley contained. Meanness, affections, pretended virtues, and concealed vices were there in abundance. Among the rest, Astolfo perceived many days of his own lost, and many imprudent sallies which he had made, and would have been glad not to have been reminded of. But he also saw among so many lost things a great abundance of one thing which men are apt to think they all possess, and do not think it necessary to pray for. Good sense! This commodity appeared under the form of a liquor, most light and apt to evaporate. It was therefore kept in vials, firmly sealed. One of these was labelled, The Sense of the Paladin Orlando." All the bottles were ticketed, and the sage placed one in Estalfo's hand, which he found was his own. It was more than half full. He was surprised to find there many other vials which contained almost the whole of the wits of many persons who passed among men for wise. Ah, how easy it is to lose one's reason! Some lose theirs by yielding to the sway of passions, some in braving tempests and shoals in search of wealth, some by trusting too much to the promises of the great some by setting their hearts on trifles. As might have been expected, the bottles which held the wits of astrologers, inventors, metaphysicians, and, above all, of poets, were in general the best filled of all. Astolfo took his bottle, put it up to his nose, and inhaled it all. And Turpin assures us that he was for a long time afterwards as sage as one could wish, but the archbishop adds that there was reason to fear that some of the precious fluid afterwards found its way back into the bottle. The paladin took also the bottle which belonged to Orlando. It was a large one, and quite full. Before quitting the planetary region, Estalfa was conducted to an edifice on the borders of a river. He was shown an immense hall full of bundles of silk, linen, cotton, and wool. A thousand different colors, brilliant or dull, some quite black, were among these skeins. In one part of the hall, an old woman was busy winding off yarns from all these different bundles. When she had finished a skein, another ancient dame took it and placed it with others. A third selected from the fleeces spun, and mingled them in due proportions. The paladin inquired what all this might be. These old women, said the saint, are the fates, who spin, measure, and terminate the lives of mortals as long as the thread stretches in one of those skeins so long does the mortal enjoy the light of day but nature and death are on the alert to shut the eyes of those whose thread is spun each one of the skeins had a label of gold silver or iron bearing the name of the individual to whom it belonged an old man who in spite of the burden of years seemed brisk and active ran without ceasing to fill his apron with these labels, and carried them away to throw them into the river, whose name was Letha. When he reached the shore of the river, the old man shook out his apron, and the labels sunk to the bottom. A small number only floated for a time, hardly one in a thousand. Numberless birds, hawks, crows, and vultures hovered over the stream, with clamorous cries, and strove to snatch from the water some of these names but they were too heavy for them, and after a while the birds were forced to let them drop into the river of oblivion. But two beautiful swans, of snowy whiteness, gathered some of the names, and returned with them to the shore, where a lovely nymph received them from their beaks, and carried them to a temple placed upon a hill, and suspended them for all time upon a sacred column, on which stood the statue of immortality estoffel was amazed at all this and asked his guide to explain it he replied the old man is time all the names upon the tickets would be immortal if the old man did not plunge them into the river of oblivion those clamorous birds which make vain efforts to save certain of the names are flatterers pensioners venal rhymesters who do their best to rescue from oblivion the unworthy names of their patrons But all in vain, they may keep them from their fate a little while, but ere long the river of oblivion must swallow them all. The swans that with harmonious strains carry certain names to the temple of eternal memory are the great poets who save from oblivion worse than death the names of those they judge worthy of immortality. Swans of this kind are rare. Let monarchs know the true breed and fail not to nourish with care such as may chance to appear in their time. End of section 15.